The beautiful thing is that we're on the move as a congregation. Our Savior is on the move with us, and he is a strong anchor and a firm foundation of our faith, and to that we lean into this morning. The scripture reading that Kelsey is going to uh, uh, preach the gospel on is uh, Romans 8, chapter 31 and following. Uh, Please add your heart to mine as I read these words uh, to you. What then shall we say in response of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will we also, along with him, graciously give us all these things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is there to condemn? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers nor their height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the great love of God that is ours in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us pray. God, we ask your blessing on Kelsey as she comes forward to preach this morning. You have taught us, Lord, over and again that there's nothing that can separate us from you. You will not be shaken from us. Let us hold fast to that anchor. Let us allow you to hold us in all that comes to us, high or low, for nothing can take us from you. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. We ask your blessing on she who comes to give your word. Amen. Good morning. I am excited to talk today, and we are going to be talking about the anchor and we're going to put it up on the screen, but it also is in the balcony in the far upright picture. I don't know if you can see it, if it's up there, but it is the top window in the right. And this anchor, while it is not necessarily a prominent sign today, it was one of the most prominent signs for the early Christians for their faith. And this anchor we see commonly, if you walk down the aisles of Hobby Lobby, you probably see it all over in their decorations aisle. And It's probably one of the most common places or in the nautical themes that people like to decorate their house. But anchors today are used in many different ways. Anchors are used in rock climbing and when rock climbers want to anchor themselves to the rock or the wall. It's also used in securing buildings or large structures to the ground. And of course, anchors are used in boats to secure them in their space in the water. We use anchors in many ways. We do. But the thing is, this building was never meant to be our anchor. Christians, I at least hope so, didn't always worship here for 2,000 years. They weren't even over here 2,000 years ago. This building has not been used by all Christians. And Marian Methodist, or the First United Methodist Church of Marian, has not always worshipped in this building. 120 so years ago, when we built this building, or uh, our founding members built this building, 
When they moved in on that day and set their first steps in here to worship, they had been worshiping and praising Jesus Christ long before this building was built. This building is great and it is wonderful. But in the light of eternity, this building is temporary. This building is made of earthly materials, not heavenly ones. And anything that is not made of heavenly materials is temporary. And while this building has stood hundreds of years and has been added onto and served us great, it is not eternity. If we make a temporary structure our anchor, we will eventually fall or wither. Our foundation must not be in something that was created. Our foundation must be in something much stronger, not in the created, but in the creator. Our anchor should be Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only anchor that can sustain us, the only anchor that can hold us. When you use an anchor, you embed it in something so deep that it can hold you. If we look back to our examples, rock climbers use their anchors and they shove it into the side of a cliff so it holds them to that cliff. Or if we look at buildings and structures, we look at the anchor that they use and they embed it so far deep into the ground and surround it with concrete that it won't fall. And then if we look at a boat anchor, and it doesn't often look like that, but they take this anchor, no matter how big or small, and they embed it into the sea floor or the lake floor or wherever they're at. This anchor gets embedded into the sea floor so they don't move. There must be something strong something embedded so deep that it supports them and it upholds them. And it is their firm foundation. So we, when we think about an anchor, we must root ourselves in the strongest thing we know that exists. And the strongest thing that exists is the creator of the universe. It's of God. God is the one that saves us. God is the one that fights for us every day. It says in the passage that Pastor Mike read that if God is for us, who can ever be against us? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Jesus is sitting in heaven on his slightly throne, pleading for you, fighting for you, wanting your heart because of his unconditional and unwavering love for you. He wants you to center your lives into him. Jesus is the only anchor that is solid and unmovable. We are tethered to this anchor, Jesus, that is the same as yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Is the firmest thing we will ever anchor ourselves into. A couple years ago, or I mean last summer in July, we were at uh, my friend's house in Brooklyn, Iowa, on Holiday Lake. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's a small lake that has kind of a community um, of houses, and my friend owns a lake house down there, so we went down there to celebrate the 4th of July. And so we hopped on her parents' pontoon boat, and I'd say there were about 13 of us, including some kids. And we got on the boat, and we started heading out to the main channel, and I don't know if you know this, but 4th of July is kind of a popular holiday that has fireworks around it and large crowds. So we get into the center of the lake, and there's lots and lots of boats around us, and we look out into the beach where they're going to launch the fireworks, and that beach is just full of swarming people. So we get to our spot on the main channel facing the beach, and we get there, and we're like, okay, let's drop the anchor. 
So we drop the anchor. It's about, I'd say it could fit in my hand. It's not super heavy, and it's held by a rope. And they drop it into the lake floor, and they embed it in. And we all get situated and ready. It's still light out. And then all of a sudden, our boat starts turning around. Kids are whining because they want to see the fireworks, so the adults get up and they readjust the anchor. And we sit there and we stop moving. So that's the good thing. But then all these boats come and we're rocking and we're rocking and we're rocking. And we keep moving until it gets dark. And finally, the lake is still and silent because everybody is situated and ready to see the fireworks. And then all of a sudden we hear this huge splash behind us. So we all look back and we think it, and we see all the other boats looking around and looking towards where the splash was, and we all are like, okay, maybe it was another anchor or something. And so we go back and look at the beach, and then all of a sudden there's another huge splash to our side. And, and then all of the people in the boats around us are looking, and we look down into the water, and we see this huge fish swimming in the lake. And it comes out, and it jumps again, and it jumps back, and then it starts heading for our boat. And this fish is swimming, and it hits our pontoon, and it knocks us. And all the kids are screaming, and they're, not, they're worried. And Ben still swears to this day that it's the mini great white shark of Holiday Lake. <laughs> and it swims, and it swims deeper, and then it hits us again, and then it disappears, and we don't see it. That was probably the most nerve-wracking, wrenching thing, watching those fireworks, waiting for that grass carp, not uh, shark, to come back. This fish knocked us but this little anchor that i held in my hand that had that i could hold in my hand that was maybe held by a half inch rope held us sure we did turn around with the anchor or we we bobbed up and down with the waves or we got knocked by a fish but we still stayed where we were there's things in our lives that change there's things in our lives that turn us around or move us or knock us down But if we are rooted in Jesus Christ, we can't be be knocked down fully. We have this hope in Jesus, this hope in his promises, in the promises that he said in Romans 8, when Paul said, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. No trouble or persecution or danger or death or life or worries. Nothing. And then he says in a verse earlier, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. We can get turned around. We can bob up and down in our lives. We can get knocked down. But if we're rooted in Jesus Christ, we can never be separated from his promises that he has for us. There's a man named Richmond Walker. He was a very charismatic, smart, and rich man. He grew up in a wealthy family. He went off to college, and he was the captain of his football team. He was the president of his class. He eventually served in the ministry he owned, or the ministry, the military. He owned a successful business. He bought many homes, had a wife and a few kids. And while he had all these things going for him, and his life seemed to be well, he felt isolated and alone inside himself. And because of this, eventually these feelings started to choke him, and he turned in college to drinking and to alcohol. And as he progressed in his life, these feelings only got worse, so the drinking only got worse. And he eventually lost his business. He lost his homes. He did lose a child. 
and then his wife separated from him. And all of this caused him to go deeper and deeper into his alcoholism. He fell into a, this pit that consumed his life. And it wasn't until he hit rock bottom for the second time that he finally fought for freedom from his alcohol. And because of this, he, he, was, he was joining a group called Alcoholics Anonymous, and this group supported him. And eventually, he wrote a book, a meditative book, titled 24 Hours a Day. And in one of his passages, he wrote this. Anyone can fight the battles of just one day. It is only when you and I add the battles of those two awful eternities, yesterday and tomorrow, that we break down. It is not the experience of today that drives us mad. It is the remorse or bitterness for something that has happened yesterday or the dread of what tomorrow may bring. Let us therefore do our best to live but one day at a time. But one day at a time. Alcoholics Anonymous is a group that uses this phrase, one day at a time, to help support people in their daily struggles. The truth that you can only fight one day at a time holds true for all. There will be worries tomorrow, I promise you. There's worries in your past that you can think about. But if you focus on Jesus Christ, you only need to worry about today. Because Jesus has made the promises of washing your past and your future troubles clean. You can focus on the hope that you have in Jesus right now. Because the promises and what scripture tells us is Jesus loves you. All of you more than anything in this world. And he fights for you every single day. He fights for your heart. And Jesus died for you so that you could have eternity with him. Eternity with the one who created us and saved us. So your anchor, your hope today is in the promise of a savior who loves you. Your hope is in his promise. And it always will be that. And that's what you can look to. One day at a time, look at Jesus Christ. Because he is your unmovable and unshakable anchor. And sometimes, sometimes, all we need to do is just stay afloat. From day to day, all we need to do is just stay afloat. Sometimes, that's all you can do. Life gets hard. It does I remember Mike saying last week that you're either about to go into a struggle, you're in the midst of a struggle, or you're just coming out of a struggle. Jesus never promised us this life would be easy. The fact is, he promised the opposite of that. If we look into the Gospels, he promised us we would face persecution. In John 15, he said, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. Or in John 5, it says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And then Matthew 24 says, then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. Jesus promised us we'd face persecution because we love him. He promised us this life would bring bring troubles. 
And if we look back to the Christians in the New Testament after Jesus' ascension, we see just that. We look at Paul, we look at Timothy, we look at the rest of the disciples. They were exiled, they were murdered, they were crucified, they were persecuted. Jesus said very that. And then if we look to the first century Christians, the ones that took place just after that, they had to hide in the catacombs because they were afraid of death by King Nero by being burned at the stake fed to lions, or crucified. Early Christians were being persecuted all over for their faith. So if you're these early Christians, what do you do when the next day could be your last? Or even the next minute could be your last? What if you do, if the world around you, you have no idea where to go next? Or if the idea of your life or surviving your life seems hopeless. These are the very real possibilities that these Christians faced in this time. And while they were being murdered and persecuted and all their friends were disappearing, their hope in Jesus Christ didn't waver. In the midst of their, their persecution, their hope wasn't based on what was happening around them. Their hope was based in Jesus Christ. Their anchor was embedded in Jesus Christ. Because God's promises, they do not change. God's promises are firm because God doesn't change his mind. And these early Christians held to the unchanging promises of God. Their anchor was God. And some of the archaeologists, archaeologists, People who study fossils. <laughs> some of those people of today, <laughs> they found some of these grave sites of these early Christians. And they found a bunch of different ones. And in one specific grave site, they found 70 different examples of the, of the words, peace be with you, on the grave. And next to it, you can put the picture up, of an anchor. There was an anchor on 70 different headstones in this gravesite. Now, if we look at the headstones today in our graves, we see people put things on their gravestones that are very important to them. And this anchor was the prominent part of their faith because the anchor was the symbol of their hope and the promises of eternity with Jesus Christ. And their times of persecution, they made it through their days focusing on him and on Jesus in eternity, not on the certain death that was waiting for them. A couple years ago, about February 2016, I got a job in Vinton as the youth director at the church and the Methodist church there. And we actually didn't move to Vinton until April. And so the first weekend in April, uh, Ben's family, his dad and his mom and his older brother Lucas and his younger brother Jacob came and helped us pack up our apartment in uh, North Liberty and helped us move out to Vinton in, um, in a house. And so we moved in all day, and then we get to the end of the day, and everything's in the house, not necessarily unpacked. And we get there, and we move, and then we say goodbye to his parents and his brothers so they can head off to Huxley and Slater near Ames. And then we see the daunting task of unpacking our house, so we send Brinley, who was four months at the time, to my parents because it's hard to watch a four-month-old and unpack. And then that next Tuesday night, we were sitting on our couch after work and staring at the 
pile and tower of boxes in our living room, staring at them hard enough, willing them to unpack themselves, but the plates didn't go in the hutch without us. So we were sitting there staring at the um, boxes. And then Ben gets a call from his dad, and his dad's like, have you uh, heard from Lucas in the past couple days? And Ben's like, no, I haven't talked to him since you guys left. And Rod's like, okay, well, he didn't show up at work the past two days, so uh, we're going to keep giving him a call. If you want to call him, that'd be great. So Ben calls him, and Ben calls him, and Ben calls him, Ben calls him. I think he's at 20 calls, and he gets a brother a call from his brother Jacob and says, we're going to head over to his apartment now, um, his mom and his dad and Jacob. So they head over to uh, Lucas's apartment, and, which is about 15 minutes away, and they get there, and the door's locked. And we're sitting there, and Ben's yelling at me, why aren't they breaking the door down? Why aren't they breaking the door down? And uh, they eventually get the cops to come to his apartment. Cops open up the door, break it down. Um, tell the family to wait outside. They go in. They come back out, and they said, "Um, your son is gone. He uh, took his own life. And so they sat there. They didn't know what to do. Ben and I didn't know what to do. We packed a bag, threw it in the car, got in the car, and drove to Huxley. We had to make a couple stops along the way. We were an emotional mess. We couldn't focus on the road. Tears were clouding our eyes. And we got to Slater and Huxley, and we just were with family. And When you're in that point, you don't know what to do. Everything in our world was spinning. We were spinning around. Everything in our world knocked us. We didn't know what to do or how to necessarily handle this tragedy or this grief. And I was reading the scripture from today when I was preparing for this. And there's a uh, scripture a few verses beforehand. It's Romans 8.28, and it says, And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. When Lucas died, we felt like the world was caving in around us. But we knew that in all things, God works for the good for those who love him. We rooted ourselves in the promise of God's goodness. In all things, he would work for us. And then if we turn to the Gospel of Matthew and look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was preaching to his followers, and he eventually said, Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Today's trouble is enough for today, my friends. Sometimes all you can do is focus on today. Just one day at a time and get through it. That's what we did. We took one day at a time. We had to. That's all we could do. Because if we focused on the past and focused on yesterday and focused on all the things we could have done or should have done or would have done, or if we focused on the things that he said or the time that he spent with Brindley and the things that about that, or if we focused on tomorrow and all the holidays that he would miss and all the Christmases and the Thanksgiving and the birthdays or the fact that he wouldn't get to see his niece go to college or get married or get to see his next nephew born, if we focused on those things, we wouldn't be able to get through that day. We couldn't just get through one day at a time. So we rooted ourselves in God. We reached out to our church family and put ourselves in that. We reached out for meals, for love, for support. And this also happened a week before a chrysalis flight. 
So we rooted ourselves in our chrysalis community and our chrysalis friends and where were our hearts and where God had called us to be and supported the students that had gone on that chrysalis flight. We leaned into God because that's all we could do to get through that day. In the face of the tragedy of our lives, we leaned on the unwavering promises of God. The unwavering promises that are in his scripture that says he will never leave us or forsake us. And as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with us. We just need to worry about today and take one day at a time. Because tomorrow has enough worries. The anchor of our lives, the thing that keeps us from sinking, from falling every day, is Jesus Christ. He's your anchor yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Whatever you're facing, whatever hardships in your life, whatever bitterness or thing that's happening, Jesus is your anchor. He's your firm foundation. He holds you. And if we look back to the scripture from today, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else, And all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You will never be separated from God, ever. He made you that promise in the scripture. His promises don't change. They are everlasting. So our anchor, our hope, it's not in a building. It's not in pastors. It's not in the people around you or your money or your jobs. Our anchor and our hope is in Jesus Christ. And I, I wouldn't put my anchor anywhere else. In Jesus' name, amen. I was uh, <clears throat> listening to Kelsey's sermon today, and actually I'd heard it before today, and as she talked about those graves of the ancient ones that had anchors on it, um, not so ancient either. Pastor Stan Wilson has a giant anchor on his grave. If you go down to Oakshade and say it, it reminds us that our anchor holds. One of the ways we celebrate that is through the act of Holy Communion, and as Vicki um, shared with you at the beginning of the service, I'm going to remind you now, if you have those ribbons that are filled out, and you're not going to go to the wall, I hope you will, um, drop, them in this, uh, drop them in your uh, uh, offering plates as you come forward. 
um, so that the kids in our Sunday school or someone can tie them up for you. But also, uh, if you're going to, or if somebody in your row is going and you're not going to go, can you say, hey, take mine. And after they receive, you receive communion, walk straight down this center aisle, go right out to the prayer wall. It faces Walgreens on 7th Avenue, so it's less than a block from here. It's right here on this block. But we go there because we pray uh, in Jesus Christ and we know our certain future is in him. On the last night of his life, the Lord Jesus offered to his disciples uh, symbols that we have now inherited and call our Last Supper. On the last night of his life, he took a common loaf of bread. He broke it in front of the disciples and said, Take and eat. This bread represents my body. And as you've seen this bread broken, so my body will be broken before you as well. And after the supper was over and all had taken their fill, he raised the cup gave thanks to his Father in heaven, and then said, Drink from this, all of you. For in the cup is the wine which represents my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you eat this bread, drink this wine in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of all of God's mighty acts of salvation, we come forward. We eat the bread, drink the wine, and remember that Christ has done all this for us. In the United Methodist Church, we believe in an open table of communion. So if Christ is yours and you're his, come and receive these elements. Take a piece of bread with your own hand. Dip it in the cup. If you need gluten-free option, it's there in the tray. You'll you'll understand what it is when you see it. Uh, But this is for you. If you're uncomfortable, just stay where you're at and pray and we'll be done directly. Uh, Ushers will bring you at the appropriate time. Uh, Give us a second to get set and then we're ready.